Welcome to Semper Sometimes with Benny. So um, today I have Rob with us, um, and it's funny because he calls himself Benny. I'm Benny, so I guess this is Semper Sometimes with the Bennies today. Um, so, um, you know, just so you guys have a little background, um, I, I don't know Rob. Um, we've been talking for like a month now, um, and he's just another person that you know, heard my episode and reached out to me. And then we ended up talking about how he started a podcast. And then he hooked me up with a friend of his who started a podcast. And now, like, I feel like I've known this guy forever. Meanwhile, I haven't even known him um, for more than a month. I've never even met him. I actually just came across your Instagram. Um, and I, for the first time ever, I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's what he looks like. So, so we've never even, you know, met face to face. Um, and a lot of my new friendships and relationships um, are being started literally because of this podcast, which is exactly why I started it. Um, so without further ado, welcome, Rob, and please, you know, just welcome yourself. Kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, give us a background, man. Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate you um, having me on the show. But uh, yeah, my name is uh, Rob, of course. Um the reason Benny kind of came into uh, the play was when I joined the Marine Corps. I joined in 2013, so mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm, I'm definitely a lot uh, younger than you, man. Um, a lot of people didn't know how to say my last name, so they would refer to as Benny because my last name is is kind of long. It's it's <laughs> one of the things that a lot of people have a hard time um, trying to, you know, pronounce. So it was just like, look, just call, just call me Benny, man. Like I had, I had crazy names like Telemundo. I had crazy <laughs> names like, dude, I had all kinds of shit, man. And it was just like, hey, you know what? I don't mind. A, I had El Chingon. I had fucking Chetos. I had fucking Telemundo. I had all kinds of fucking names, man. So that was that was that was pretty much how that started off. And um, it's about Rob is what my family knows me as. So I figured when I started the podcast, I was just like, I'm gonna use my actual name. Because mm-hmm. Benny is the Marine Corps, right? That's all yeah. I know about the Marine Corps. But uh-huh. Rob is who I really am. Because Rob uh-huh. is like a total, total different persona than what I was in the in the Marine Corps. Because I had, I made like a dramatic turnaround from the person I was, you know, dealing with what I was dealing with, you know, and I had to, I, I was like different persona. So this is what we're gonna do. So the podcast started because i loved i I really loved uh joe rogan i love uh andy frisella i love um who else uh what's his name um i i forgot his name but i I love people like david goggins i emulate those people solely because they're the people who they are right and they love doing shit they love just talking about random shit kind of like you and i do so, like, our last conversation we had when you're on my show, dude, like, that was cool because that podcast flowed just naturally without any kind of structure. It was kind of me just jotting stuff down on a notepad and me just kind of asking you about it. But it flowed really good. And that's what yeah. I like, you know? Well, yeah, and that's exactly why I sort of mind, man, is because, you know, I find myself, people ask me, they're like, hey, man, you know, <clears throat> how, long, how long are your episodes? And I'm like, bro, I, I can't have a length and and it's funny because when i first started this podcast for any of you that are listening that have kind of been around since the beginning i'm at like episode 32 now i think and in the first couple of episodes i had i did have a co-host um and and the thing was is that a lot of what he wanted was to stay structured to 30 minutes or an hour 
And I was like, listen, man, that's not something that we can really do because what am I going to do? Tell somebody halfway through the conversation, hey, bro, you got 10 minutes. We got to cut it off. Like, no, like there's, bro, there's like Joe Rogan. He has three and a half hour long episodes. Yeah. And listen, if you, if you're in, if you're in <clears throat> intertwined into the conversation, if you're enjoying it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to do that. Um, and that's why, you know, when people ask me that question, I'm like, I'm like, listen, man, I'm, I'm here to talk about anything you want to talk about. And I'm here to just, you know, as the host, I'm here to guide the conversation. I'm here to ask you questions. But at the end of the day, like, you know, as long as it doesn't get like a, you know, a slow beat, you know, as long as the drum's going to continue to drum on, then, you know, I'll, I'll go for as long as we can. Um, and right now I have, I think my longest episode right now is like two and a half hours. Um, so what, what would you say was the reason, cause your, your show is called, um, sober talk with Rob, right? Right. So what, what kind of brought that about? Like, why was that the name? What led you to, to create this podcast? Like, why did you decide like, and, and also why, why did you decide that right now was the time to do it? You know, like what, what happened that you were like, you know what, this is the day, this is the time that I got to do this. So it's kind of weird how it happened, man. I want to be real with you, but I mean, that's how anything kind of happens. You know, you got to take that leap of faith at some point. You just got to put like hey, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the podcast was because, like I said, I like, I like hearing stuff like that. And I like talking about random shit. So there was just one day I was sitting in my room. Uh, I was in, I was in a school for aviation, Pensacola. Mm-hmm. And this is when I decided to go sober. I decided to turn my life around because I was in like this huge, just black hole of just funk and getting in my own head. So dealing with what I was dealing with coming off, obviously I'm going to go back to that, you know, coming off recruiting duty, coming off such, you know, what felt like rock bottom. When I was making this turnaround, I realized that I'm going to use this as a time to document how much of the shit I don't want to do, but I fucking do it because nobody else is. And I want people to know that some of the shit that I went through and some of the shit that I put myself through, nobody else really did it to me. And if they did it to me, like, what did I do to, to prevent myself from going through that? But the biggest purpose behind it was so that people, when they listen to it, they can get something out of it because you never know who you can, who you can actually impact yeah. and what i realized is that it impacted a lot of people so it started when i was up at night i just started so when i got to when i got to a school in pensacola i was like five pounds overweight according to the military okay not to discredit the marine corps or anything like that i'm just saying it for my piece but i was five pounds overweight right i did mm-hmm. not i did not work out i did not go to the gym i would eat like just dog ass i would drink like a fucking sailor and it was just, it, it wasn't, there was nothing good about it. It did absolutely nothing to me. So when I got there, that was the eye opener for me. When I saw that I was overweight, because I was the guy who always told myself, I will never let myself get fat. I will never let myself get overweight. Mm-hmm. But of course, there I was. Yeah. So I got, I just got fat. I got overweight. I got like this dad bod, man. I, I used to be really muscular. I was into powerlifting and CrossFit and, and trail running, all this stuff. And, but then I just totally lost it all, got in my head and it just, that was it. And I was just like, well, this is it, whatever. And then I got to A school. And what shook me up was seeing that I was five pounds overweight, but being around subordinate Marines. So being around subordinate Marines, right? Us as like sergeants and above example. You have to set the example. So I was just like, 
I can't be around these fucking Marines and just be this disgusting piece of shit. I cannot. Because what are they going to think about me if they saw me stuff in my face with just bullshit? They saw me drinking like a fucking, you know, an alcoholic. Like, what would they think of me? Mm-hmm. So I thought of that. But then I also thought of who am I? Like, what the fuck am I doing here? Because I'll tell you right now, I may have only been on recruiting duty for like a year and a half. But I'll tell you right now, the only person who can bring me out of hell is myself. So I was just like, God threw me a bone, man. Whatever you guys may may believe in, this is what I believe in. Like, God threw me a bone when he was just like, hey, guess what? I'm short touring you. You're going to A school because you had a lap move from the tank community. I was was an 1812 tank crewman. And when I had to re-enlist for the third time, they were like, you have to lap move because the force redesigned of the Marine Corps and whatnot. So when that happened, it was like a wake-up call for me because it's like, look, you need to get out of your own fucking way. You need to do something that you can take with you for the rest of your life because this is your window of opportunity right here. If you don't do nothing about it, you are forever going to be a mediocre piece of shit. And that Mm -hmm. woke me up. So one day I got out of bed, I woke up at four in the morning, I went to go run a mile, almost died because I had to run a mile like forever. Yeah. And then after that, I went to the gym, did cardio for 30 minutes, then I lifted. And then I started doing that for a week. Then after a week, it turns to two weeks. And then that two weeks, I lost six pounds. And I was like, holy fuck, I can actually do this. Yeah. So now I was just like, you know, I just started getting sober. I, I went sober in April. I went sober in April. So when I went sober in April, I was like, I've been sober so far. I've lost six pounds. What else can I do next? So mm-hmm. I was just like, man, what if I started a podcast? So And this was like at night, man. It was like 10 p.m. at night. I was laying in bed, and I was like, okay, um, what would I talk about? Then I started thinking about like my sobriety. Why is my sobriety so, so important? Why did I choose that topic? And because I was thinking about a uh, podcast uh, like name. So I was just like, okay, sober talk. Why not sober talk? Because I mean, what the fuck else would you name it? And I realized sober talk was because I have a lot of shit I could share about alcoholism and how much it fucks you up versus how much it actually does well for you. Because, yeah, yeah, everybody has their cool stories about, yeah, this one time <laughs> I got drunk and this girl like showed me your fucking like, nah, man, like this is shit that's really important. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's going to be sober talk and then we'll do sober talk with rock. So that's how I got it started. Mm-hmm. It took me about another three days to actually put it down on paper and then from paper to anchor the app. And then I started it. It took me about, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It took me about six times to, to record over and over again because I'm still getting started in the game. And um, I, I, I'm one of those guys who will listen to it over and over again because I'm just like, man, I sound stupid. I shouldn't sound like that, whatever. But at some point, you just got to let it flow and let time make you better. Yeah. So that's when I realized that once you get out of your own way and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, look, we either do this or we fucking don't, then that's when things kind of fall in place. And I never knew that because for the longest time, man, I was that guy who was just like, oh, you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to do that. You can't get yourself back to the in-shape guy you were. You can't do the things you used to do anymore because – you had, you know, the the anxiety, the depression, the injuries you faced, the, the you know, the plantar fasciitis, all that bullshit. 
But I was just like, no. And what really woke me up, man, was I read I read uh, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me book. Man, mm-hmm. let me tell you something, dude. That's a hard motherfucker, man. I yeah. read that book, dude. Yeah, I, that's a great book, man. Dude, I I read that book and I was like, I got no motherfucking excuse as to why I can't get my ass up at 4 <laughs> Bro, it's, it's true, man. And and I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's a con- so I remember, um, I remember, so I read that book and um, I had the book and my, so my younger brother, uh, he's severely overweight. He's like six, he's probably like, I'm five foot ten. He's probably like six foot, and he's like two fifty, two seventy five. So maybe I, I wouldn't say severely overweight, but he's overweight. Mm-hmm. Dude couldn't, dude couldn't run a quarter mile if you freaking gave him a thousand dollars, like. And um, you know, due to his environment, due to um, due to the way that he grew up with his parents, um, he never, you know, as much as I tried to be around him, as much as I tried to help him, you know, his parents allowed him to just literally not have any kind of work ethic not have any type of you know know-how or push or anything like that and um so when i finished reading the book i was like you know what i'm gonna have him i'm gonna try to encourage him to read it because he is huge into reading so i was like you know maybe he'll give it a shot maybe he'll read it so um i gave it to him i'm not sure if he ever read it i don't know but um about a month or so later he um comes to my house um and my my older sister and her husband come <clears throat> and he gives me the book and my sister's like oh well, what is that about and i was like well it's about david goggins and i got to go through it i'm like oh he did this he did this and i got to talk about it and she's like i don't remember what she said but she was like yeah well that's not for everybody and i was like i was like well that's the problem though and she's like what do you mean and i was like well it could be for everybody I was like, right now we're talking to my little brother, and I I don't know if my little brother will ever listen to this episode or any of them, but you know it hurts me because for whatever reason he feels inadequate. He feels that like he works at a grocery store. Now, mind you, listen, I'm not knocking down anybody that works at a grocery store. Listen, I get it. There's people who become regional managers and whatever, and you go off to make a bunch of money. I get it. Cool, great, bro. I was a janitor but, before I joined the Marine Corps. Like. I would still work at a grocery store. But here's here's the thing, though, right? My And this is my argument, right? And, and my sister was like, so you're telling me that you're not going to let your kids do those things? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying simply is that no one was created by God to come into this world and just go work at a grocery store and, and man a cash register. Yep. No, one was, no one was created to literally just go and stock shelves. Like you're you're beyond that, and again, I and but what annoys me is when people say, "Well, somebody's got to do it." Okay, great, and it's not me, because you're you're allowing yourself to be at a level where you're where 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 there's no growth, or oh, everyone's got to start somewhere. No, man, like this, the idea that we are now as a society saying that mediocrity is okay—that's the problem. The idea that, you know, we tell people, oh, you could be anything you want to be, but that we don't believe it and that we don't instill it. That's the problem. And, you know, and it's and it's like, you you know, you sharing your story and talking about how you got to this point where, you know, you kind of had given up on yourself and you you were in this dark place. And, you know, finally you got out of it, bro. The same exact thing happened to me, bro. 
I finished four years on recruiting duty and um, I had to, I'm getting out, I'm getting out I'm EASing and I had to lose 25 pounds. I was 25 pounds over my max. Holy I've, shit. bro, I've never in my life been, I started, I started recruiting duty at 165. When a month before I EASed, I was 210. I've never in my life been over 200 less than bro i've never been over 185 which is my max so right. i so i find out that i have to do a weigh-in before i eas because of some shit that happened and um because I, I apparently i didn't have a weigh-in in the system because some admin bubba didn't decide to put it in whatever so i find out a month before i'm about to eas that i have no it was two weeks they tell me they're like, hey, and now mind you, should I have looked in the system? Should I have known in my MOL that I didn't have it up to date? Yeah, all right, my bad. But so I look in the system and I realize that I don't have a fucking height and weight in the system for the CFT season. So I'm sorry for the PFT season. So no, it's CFT CFT. So I'm like, fuck. I'm like, bro, I gotta lose 25 pounds in the next two weeks. And bro, I went. I went on the military diet. I cut out all drinking. I was doing two hours of cardio a day. Like literally, bro, I lost I lost like twenty five pounds in less than two weeks, bro. And I remember I remember wa- I remember walking in and I just bro dripping sweat. I stood on the scale, bro, and I was dude, I took everything down to my underwear and I was like, Gunny, I was like, What am I at? And he was like one eighty four point five. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I was like, thank you, God, bro. And, and, you know, now it's almost, now it's like uh, about six months later. And I'm, you know, I've only, you know, right now I'm at like 192. So I'm still, I'm only six pounds above, but I've been in the gym. So I'm hoping it's muscle. But, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, the reason why I brought that up is because, you know, I'm just glad that, like you said, man, God threw us a bone and he was like, listen, you need to get out of the rut that you're in and you need to turn around and look back towards me. Um, and you need to fix yourself before it's too late. Um, and it, it's a great thing. And and I'm glad that he used, you know, someone like David Goggins. And that's the thing about people like that, man. And people like us who are creating a podcast and stuff, because the reality of it is, man, is that if you believe that you're meant to just be that guy who is just a, gro- a grocery store attendant, then dude, Take a second back, man, and just think about, you know, and I would say this to people when I was on recruiting duty, man, like, bro, did you wake did you wake up one day when you were younger and when you were, like, you know, a young kid, 10, 12 years old, did you ever say, bro, I can't wait to work at Wawa? Bro, Fuck I can't no. Wait. No, that was never a thought to you. And now, mind you, I'm not discrediting those people, but anyone who works at those places they could be so much further, but they just don't want to put in the work. Now, mind you, I get it. There are circumstances. I don't know everybody's life. I don't know why they're there. I'm just stating that in my personal and humble opinion, there's people out there who start in a profession like Wawa or a grocery store or whatever, and they say things like, oh, well, this is just for now. Oh, this is just to begin Oh, that I won't be here forever. And then all of a sudden, they they're an expert of every aisle, and they know everything and everything. They know where to find everything before you even ask them. And it's, you know, it's just like, bro, you could have done so much more. And 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 I don't believe for a second that this is your end all be all. And 
And if it is, then it is. But I just think you, I don't even know you, whoever I'm talking to, but I just believe that you have so much more to offer the world than working at some minuscule place that doesn't even, you know, require 10% of your brain. Like you're just, you know, handing somebody a coffee and you're just like, thanks for your order. And it's like, bro, you could be doing so much more than that. And if you don't feel that way, then, you know, you, you should feel that way because you're better than that. Um, you're, you're, you should be further on than that. Exactly. But um, so what what made you what was it that kind of slapped you in the face? You know, I know you said it was the five pounds, but was it anything else? Like because how so so now, mind you, going back, if you don't mind me asking why if you can share with us why were you short toured what happened that you were only on the on the duty for a year and a half yeah man so when i joined the marine corps i joined as so i and i originally enlisted as an 0331 machine gunner already signed the sou the statement of understanding right but i wanted to leave earlier i told my recruiter i was like look i want to get my life started as soon as i can i don't want to be here i work as a fucking janitor from 10 p.m. like 12 a.m. at night to like fucking 3 a.m. in the morning and I just don't want that life I was making like a hundred fucking dollars a month it was doing nothing for me I, I just I had all this skill I was a guy who loved to run who loved to work out who loved to just do shit I did not like sitting on that fucking phone so I was just like look I want to get my life started Okay, if you can find me an earlier ship date, please. So one day he called me on like, I want to say a Friday, Saturday night. And he says, hey, I got you a spot in December. And I was like, okay, fucking sweet. When is the soonest you can come into the office? I was like, all right, I'll get on my bike and I'll go in right now. And he was like, okay. So I get on my bike and I go in. He says, hey, man, check this out. The only issue is you would have to give up your job as an 0331 and pick one of these jobs. So he lays out the SOUs on the table. One of them was Motor T, um, another one was Logistics, and the other one was uh, Utilities, so like food services and admin and stuff like that. And then I saw Combat Support. Combat Support had, obviously, AAVs, um, artillery, and then tanks. And I saw tanks, and I was just like, tanks, can you show me, like, what the tanks I were using? Like, I, I last time I saw a tank, it was like a fucking, uh, 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 like a... What is it? Uh, I forgot the name of it, but he, and so he showed me more of it and he showed me a bunch of video of these tanks. And I was like, I want that job. I want to be a fucking tanker. And he was like, why? I was just like, because why not? That shit looks badass. It looks really hard. And I, at the time, dude, I was 122 pounds soaking wet. I'm 5'6". I'm at the time, I was like 5'5". Five, five. I'm only 5'6 right now. I'm not a big guy. And so I was just like, I just want to do something that's fucking hard. And he was like, all right, are you sure? I was like, yes. And he was like, okay, sign the SOU. So we signed the SOU. A couple, couple weeks later, I shipped off to boot camp. And then obviously did my time as a tanker. Had a lot of fun. Did a lot of dumb shit. Um, shot a bunch of rounds. And then um, eventually hit the streets as a recruiter. So when I hit the, stre- the, when I hit the streets as a recruiter, things played out really meticulously. When I first went to recruiting school, I was kicked out of recruiting school. I was dropped because of mental health issues so then they sent me to camp pendleton to recover for six months go to um go see a mental health professional and then they said okay you're clear let's send you back to recruiting school so i went back to recruiting school once i did that i got sent to recruiting substation visalia 
recruited there. And when I started out, I wrote a one. The next month, I wrote a zero. Month after that, I wrote a one, and then I wrote a, and then I wrote a three, and then I started writing a bunch of contracts, and I did really fucking well, because that duty really, ex- like we were talking about the last episode, man. That duty really brings out the fucking turd or the hard worker in you, and it brought out the best of me, man. It str- it pulled out all the hard work in me that I've that I didn't even know I had. I thought like my job as a tanker was hard. Fuck no, recruiting was. So when I did recruiting. I was just busting my ass, man. I was writing twos. I was writing threes. At one point, I almost wrote a fucking six. Luckily, those two dickheads got dropped on deck because they opened their mouths when they weren't supposed to, but whatever. Um, and I was doing good. I was writing half the Matrix standard. I had a great EPR above a 2.0. Um, I just, A lot of people knew who I was. I was putting my name out there, and I was doing great. But what I was not doing great at was taking care of myself. I didn't know how to just simply say, all right, that's enough. Take a break. I didn't know how to say, take care of yourself. I didn't know how to say, you need to fucking get up and go work out. I didn't know how to say, you need to eat healthy. You need to stop drinking so much. I didn't know how to say that. It was just work and hate your life and drink. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and I I can, I feel you wholeheartedly um, because I was, I was exactly where, where you're talking about being, um, and a, and a huge me and my boy Stan talked about it in one of our episodes back in you know the beginning of this, and me and him you know we were just talking about it man you you get to this high of you you're so good and the commanders looking at you and people looking at you and then the community knows who you are and you feel like you're invincible because of what you're doing and you you just feel this like all right I have but I have to do more. Because it's never enough, you know. Someone's gonna ask me, "What do you have for tomorrow?" And then you, you, you fall into this dark pit of, like, yeah. I think we talked about it on your on your podcast, but just to repeat it, you know, you kind of feel like you're right in smack dab in the um, the quantum realm, you know, like you're you're Ant Man and you're just stuck in the quantum realm and you don't know how long it's been, you know, or you know, it's the snap of the finger and it's been five years, you know where Thanos destroyed everybody and all of a sudden you come out and you're like, wait a minute, that happened five years ago. And, and that's the thing, man, is that that happens, you know, you get so consumed into work, into, you know, believing in, you know, something or, or whatever it is. And you get, and you forget, you know, you forget about your own well-being. you forget about eating three meals a day. You, you forget, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, I would be sitting down with parents at, at a house getting parent getting getting parental consent, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Wow, it's seven o'clock and I haven't eaten today." You know, or or I get home at eleven o'clock at night and I'm like, "Wow, I you know I haven't had food, but let me get a beer first. You know, and it's yep. and it's reality, man. And and you say the things, you know, you're like, "Oh, I don't have time to go go work out," but you have enough time to you know smoke a cigarette in the back, or you know, even if you even if you just do one pulley PT throughout the week you know that's hey it's more than you were getting um and you're right man it's just you get to this dark hole and you just kind of forget that you you know you are a human being and you're not a robot and that you do need time to recoup and, and stuff like that so um so i'm sorry to to go off on a tangent so what no, happened so what happened next so yeah a funny story kind of sidetracking off that man there's one time i was sitting down talking to this parent after i just talked to him talked to this young man and he was like, hey, uh, do you want to come in? My parents are really, you know, welcoming. They want to meet you and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come in. 
keep in mind, it was like a whole month. I was like eating one meal a day, kind of like yourself. And I remember I didn't even know how hungry I was until I was sitting in there. We're talking on the dinner table. And I guess they had just say dinner. I come in, I'm, I'm wearing my fucking uniform and I'm just shooting the shit with them. And the mom goes, she was like, honey, when was the last time you ate? I said, uh, I'm not too sure. I was lying out of my ass. I didn't eat that whole fucking day. Cause I, you know, I'm, I was, I'll get into that after she, I was just like, uh, I'm not sure. She was just like, cause I eat dinner and you look, you look like you haven't ate all day. She said that I look really pale. She said that I look really like thin and just like zombified. And I said, Oh, I just been going at it all day. You know, I work hard. And she was like, ah, oh, I understand that. And cause she was really sweet, really sweet old lady. And she goes here while we talk, I'm, let me make give you some of the food that I made. So she gave me some of the food. And then I remember I was talking to the dad while she was, like, getting it ready. And I'm talking to the dad and the son. And my stomach growled so fucking loud. The dad was like, holy shit. Hey, get him a lot. He's fucking starving. And I'm, like, sitting there sweating, man. Because I'm like, dude, that's really embarrassing, first of all. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to eat in front of this family, but dude, whatever they made, man, it was fucking good. It was like Filipino food. It was oh. so fucking good, man. I, mm. I went to ham on that shit. And so <laughs> after that, you know, bless bless up to that family, man. But it's it's things like that, that that make you realize that you are human. So after that, I, you know, had a lot of issues with mental health. I even grew this weird lump on my left arm, man. It was from stress. And I thought it was cancerous, so I had to go to the – I went to the hospital, and I got it checked out. They did some tests on it, and they are just like, oh, no, it's just a stress-induced uh, lump. And so they said what you have to do is you have to do, do – you have to rest a lot more, you know, you have to rest a lot more, get some physical activity in you, and it'll start to shrink. And I said, okay. So I started resting a lot more, and I – on the weekends where I said I'm going to meet up with this kid or that kid, whatever, I was just like, I'm going to just save it for the week. And then the lumps started going away. Um, and after that, I remember it's just, I was, I was doing good, but I was in such a terrible place because mentally and physically I was going downhill. It was affecting everything around me. So around, I want to say February of this year, I was, I had just wrote three contracts, three low density contracts, right? Keep in mind, I wrote, I was writing a lot of fucking contracts, man. I was writing a lot of fucking contracts and I was not me and some of the guys on my team did not get recognized for it. There was no award. There was no, Hey, fucking good shit, man. Or Hey, there was no, Hey, we're going to come down and fucking give you this or that. It was just, okay, cool. Do you have more? And I was just like, there came a point where I just sat at that desk and I stared at the wall just for like, what am I doing? Mm Mm-hmm. What am I fucking doing? But then I realized that I was doing it for the team. I was doing it for my boss because they treated my boss like absolute dog shit. And I remember going home that night and I drove home with just no music on. I was just thinking about it and I was just depressed. And then I remember the day after I was writing a building a package in the morning. I know, right? Building a package in the morning. And I get this email. It's from the career planner for the 12th Marine Corps District. And it says, um, uh, Sergeant so-and-so, you will be departing um, RS Sacramento on this day, and you'll be conveying to um, NAS Pensacola for um, aviation electric, aviation, avionics electronics technician, OSTRAN, 
um, a school on this date. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Now, it made me think back to this conversation I had with the old buddy of mine. Shout out to you, Stats Ron Aguilar. Um, we, he called me up. He was like, hey, brother, I don't know if you were enlisted yet, but before FY, before the FY, the new FY, make sure you do it because they might, they, they, if you don't, then you'll be competing for a boat space. And I was like, oh, shit, that's right. The new enlisted uh, retention board came out, and that's really important because I want to re-enlist. You know, I plan on retiring. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I contacted my career, career planner. He told me, he was like, yeah, pick the, the choices that you want to lab move into. So I did. I, I chose like welder, HVAC, and I chose uh, aviation. So then he helped me out with that. And then I just kept – because that's when the whole thing came out. There's Because this is what they – this is, and this is the crazy thing, man. Benny, check this out. They said, hey, for all the guys in the 1800 community, these are your options. You lap move. You do an inter-service transfer to the Army, or you get the fuck out on SEPS pay. That was it. Just those three choices. That was fucking it. Right? So I was just like, when I got that email, I just felt like the biggest slap in the face. And that just, that collected on top of all the shit that was going on. And I was like, dude, that is six years of all the hardest shit I'd ever done in all my life that I've ever done just gone away. And it felt like, so that's it. So whatever, moved on, re-enlisted. And then I got that email. I remember when I got that email, I was like, there's no fucking way. There has to be some kind of like loophole to this. So I called a career planner. My boss is on the phone with the Sergeant Major. He's just like, the Sergeant Major's like, I'm trying to get more answers. I'll let you know as soon as possible. The ARIs are, are calling my boss like, hey, what are you going to do? Like, He's just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. What do you think I should do? And we're just making calls left and right trying to figure shit out. I get on the phone with the career planner. He's like, no, nope, that's it. It's the Marine Corps wants it, what the Marine Corps gets is what the Marine Corps wants. And I said, okay, hey, that's fine. So then, you know, I'm still on production and I'm just there. And I'm like, I remember I went home that night. And I thought about it. And I'm like, okay, if this is really true, then if it goes through with this, then okay, that this is a sign. So then fast forward to, to then and. When I got to A school, it was, you know, I finally got off that mission letter, but it's wrapping your head around. I have so much time on my hands. How do I use it? That's crazy. So you just suddenly got an email, like, how much time did you have? So like a year and a half into the duty, you find out like, hey, you're getting short toured to go to A school because they got rid of your MOS. And now you have to go learn a new MOS. Yeah. That's exactly how it happened, man. And that's fucking nuts, man. That's it, crazy. It is nuts. <laughs> how did you like and then and then again, like with you dealing with the anxiety and the issues that you were having, I can only imagine this now being thrown on top of you. Like it was a and I, I now I don't want to speak for you, so correct me if I'm wrong. It had to have been like a uh like a sigh of relief because you're like, Oh, I don't have to do another year and a half of recruiting duty. But then at the same time, you're probably like, but that means I didn't finish. That also means I didn't get the ribbon. That also means that now I have to go start a whole new job, learn a whole new MOS, and be a staff sergeant in a brand new MOS that I know nothing about. Yeah, and that is something I thought of day in and day out. I would lay in my bed at night not being able to sleep because of that. Because I'm thinking of like, 
the first thing I thought about, man, and this is what I love about the military, right, is because we do things in the team, right? What's the one thing you hear the most is uh, for, uh, faster, alone, further together. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't want to leave these guys behind because of the shit we went through. The shit we went through. We were the most southern station that nobody really gave a fuck about. But the simple fact that we wrote contracts and we shipped kids out when nobody else was able to do it. And I didn't want to leave them behind because we were in a tough spot. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I wrote fucking contracts. I did work. I was holding with with the help of another recruiter. We were holding down the office. And I knew when I left, things were not going to look well. And I was worrying about that because I was thinking about, like, what is my boss going to do? What are the other recruiters going to do? But what I didn't want to do is swallow this pill and tell myself that it's like, this is your career. You have to do this or else you're going to be stuck in the same spot. And the things that are open for you won't be there anymore. So obviously I couldn't fight it because this is the Marine Corps wants and needs. And so it happened. Now, yeah, I was dealing with all that stuff, man. And I think about it all the time. But the one thing that I continuously tell myself is that nobody could ever take the amount of work I did on recruiting duty. Nobody could ever take the amount of contracts I wrote. Nobody could ever take the work ethic and the time and the sacrifices I made on this duty away from me because I know what I did. And the coolest part about that is if, look, man, if you want to doubt me, go ahead and pull up my fit ribs, brother. If you want to doubt me, go ahead and talk to my old boss. He'll tell you all about it because I'll tell you right now, when you're not sitting in the office and spending the night in the office like two, two to five times and, in one year, I don't want to fucking hear it because everybody's got this excuse as to why they couldn't write contracts and all this stuff. But, hey, if I could fucking do it, man, anybody can too. But just understand that if you're the single guy, and it, you don't even have to be single, man. You know, we, we know who those people are. If you're the single guy who doesn't know how to stop fucking working, you need to know how to shut it off because I guarantee you, you're going to work yourself until you get sick. Bro, it's it's true, man. Um you know, and, um, you know, it's a very, I, I just think, you know, it's something that, you know, like you said, man, yourself, it's very, um, I think somebody had to have been praying for you. Somebody was like, yo, Rob, Rob needs you right now. Get him off this duty because it, it sounds like a lot of what's going on. And, and, you know, it's thanks to God taking care of you and getting you off this duty and putting you in a different place. Because, you know, if and you got to think about it like that, you know, if you hadn't been taken off of duty and if you hadn't gone to aid school, you may have never started your podcast. You may have never, you know, had the sobriety put into your life. So, you know, we we don't know why things happen. You know, God's created a good work in us. And, you know, so it's really great to hear, you know, your story and, and how it all went. And what you're saying is the truth, man. You know, there's so many people out there who will have every reason why they can't work or why they can't write contracts or why they can't do their job. And, and, and it's just the end of the day, man. It's just like, bro, just, just work. And, and I think that's a huge part of the problem is that there's so many people out there who don't, you know, there's people out there who don't work, who's, you know, but it's like you, you know, one of the things that you were talking about, I'll go back to, you know, was you were talking about, um, you know, how you were doing so much and there was no recognition and, you know, the problem and I, and it's weird because I was this guy, you know, so I remember I was sitting down one day um, talking to this master guns. He's my R.I. 
um, me and him were just talking, and I was like, you know, it's so weird to me because, like, when I was rec- when I was an, an RA a recruit assistant, and when I was starting off in the Marine Corps, you know, before I got on recruiting duty, you know, I was just taught simply, hey, motherfucker, this is your job, go do it. Your job is to be a recruiter. This right now, this is your assigned duty. This is your job. You're you need to write two a month. If you write more than that, cool, but you need to write a minimum of two a month. So to me, if you're writing two a month, you're doing your job. Nobody, you know, when you're in the Fleet Marine Corps and you're doing whatever your job is, whether it's tanker or whatever it is, you are given a job, you're given a bill description, you're given, you know, left and right lateral limits, and you do those jobs. Now, do you get awarded for doing your job? No, because it's your fucking job. No, yeah. no one comes over and says, hey, man, great job doing your job. No, it's because it's expected. It's your job, right? But then now looking back at it and having this conversation with this Master Guns, he was like, but Bennett, you're not in the Fleet Marine Corps. He was like, you're on recruiting duty. He was like, so if you think about it, he was like, he was like, how, how would you? He, now, mind you, when I was having this conversation with him, I was a staff in COIC, and he was like, Bennett, let's take you. He's like, think back. He's like, think back to three years ago when you were a brand new recruiter and you wrote your first four. He was like, wouldn't you have loved to have received some sort of recognition? Wouldn't you have loved to have received something more than an award? You know, wouldn't you have loved to have been given time off or, or whatever it was, you know, but no, instead, you were just met with the next day of, hey, what do you have for next month? Yep. And he was like, how much more would you have gained if you were actually, you know, appreciated for the work that you had been put in? And, you know, it really just made me think about it. And, and you know, mind you, do I still believe in the fact that, hey, motherfucker, it's your job. Go do your job. Yes. Because the the number one thing that I hate with all of my being and and again, I and I had this master gun, this master gun, say this when I was uh, when I was a Lance Corporal, and I'll never forget it. Um, this master guns, he's still in the Marine Corps. Um, he was a master, he was a mass sergeant when I was a Lance Corporal, and now he's a master gunnery sergeant. Um, and I, I'm not gonna say his name, but I remember he said this because whenever somebody would say I tried, he would fucking flip out he would literally flip out and and his thing was i don't i can't really quote him because this was like 10 10 or so years ago but his biggest thing and it became my thing was bro i I don't give a fuck that you tried that means nothing to me if i if you brought if you brought your car like i have a mazda if i brought my mazda to mazda and I said, hey, man, I need you to fix these four tires and I'm going to pay, you know, and you tell me, OK, man, that's going to cost you this much money. So then you call me like, hey, man, your car is ready. And I come out and I come pick my car up and I and I realize that the four tires are exactly the same tires that they left. They're the same. There's the same wear on the tread. They're not new tires. And I'm like, bro, what happened? You're like, oh, uh, yeah, I tried. I don't really know how to do it, but I just tried. Bro, you that with that word means nothing. Because if you just try, quote unquote, every single day and you never do and you never accomplish, then it doesn't matter that you effing tried. Yep. 
And, and that's the thing is that a lot of recruiters out there, you know, have this idea and I don't know where the hell it came from because if you were in the fleet Marine Corps and your staff sergeant, like if your job was motor T and your job was to, you know, complete some, you know, preventative maintenance on however many trucks and you only got one truck done and you had to do 50, you know, you and the whole platoon. And then the, the gunny says to the platoon sergeant, hey, how much did you get done? He goes five. And the gunny's like, what do you mean five? You have 45 left to do. The gunny would never eat. First of all, this would never happen. And if it did, the sergeant would never look at the gunny and say, well, gunny, we tried. No, these are these are words that you wouldn't they wouldn't be in your vernacular on in the fleet Marine Corps. But all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you now believe that you can come on recruiting duty and say to a staff sergeant, oh, well, I tried. No. The you 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 trying means nothing to me. You doing as a sergeant and above is what matters because all that matters is what we do in this life. And that's the problem is there's so many people out there who are so fucking okay with, oh, well, at least I tried to do it. And that goes back to the conversation about David Goggins and, you know, people like him is you can sit here all fucking day and say, well, you know, I've tried to lose weight and I've tried. Okay, well, guess what? Did you lose the weight? Did you do it? Because people can sit here and say, oh, well, I have this and I have that. Bro, look at the guy from freaking Remember the Titans. The dude was 570 fucking pounds, and now he's down to like a steady 210. Yep. And and yet you're saying, oh, well, I've tried. Guess what? Listen to that dude's podcast. He tells you about how many different diets he's tried and how he finally figured out the one that works for him. And now he's been 210 or 230 for the past five years, and he hasn't gone back up. And and the reality of it is is that it's not about trying, and and that's something that you know I think that as a as a Marine Corps I think that as a as a as a body of people as a country as just just people and and itself man parents and the way that we're bringing kids up is is oh hey you know what man you tried so you know that's 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 all I can ask for no man because the more and more you don't do is the more and more someone else has to do on your part. Exactly. And and no one realizes that. <clears throat> and what's funny, though, is that you'll never be the person to say that. You know, you'll never go out back to the Fleet Marine Corps and be like, when people bring up recruiting duty, you'll never be like, oh, well, I tried. No, you're going to say some crazy, bro, it was the craziest time of my life. And I tried, bro, you don't even know who I was, bro. And it's like, bro, you probably weren't anybody and you probably were not good. And But you'll never know because you'll never talk about how much of a turd you were in your office. Um, but back to, you know, back to the positive. Um, so you went through a lot. Um, the question that I would and then ask you is kind of focusing back towards the alcohol and the, the sobriety. Um, since now you, you're at what, four months, I think you said that you've been yeah, sober? Yeah, four months. Okay. How, how, number one, how does that feel? Um, have you had any kind of issues with wanting to drink? Um, and then what have you been doing to keep that mentality of, okay, well, I'm going to continue to not do this. So sobriety, man, is it's his own like entity. Because when you become sober and you can finally go a week or two weeks or even three weeks without it, you can experience the changes that are happening to your body. Because whether people believe it or not, your body, your body naturally detoxifies itself. 
There, you don't need to do no kinds of detox shit or fucking drink all kinds of weird shit. Your body, your body will naturally do it as long as you're consuming water. And what I noticed about me was I was waking up in the morning with a better mindset. I was able to wake up in the morning when my alarm went off. I had a much better mood. The amount of serotonin that would go through my body after, let's say, a workout or a run was a, a lot more increased. And then just in, 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 just an increase in, in testosterone. And I was no longer trapped in this depressive mindset where I would get lost in my own mind and say, you know, this, all right, I'm just here and I don't feel like doing now. What do I feel like this? It was like, I feel like this. Why? What's making me feel like this? Well, what can I do to get out of my head? Well, let me go. I don't know. You know, fuck with one of the things that I do with my hobbies. So like number one, being a podcast. Number two, let me go rig up one of my fishing rods or let me go talk to a buddy of mine that I haven't talked to in a long time. It, you, you start figuring things out. And the one thing about sobriety is once you love the feeling of being in your own body without some kind of mood altering stimulant or, uh, you know, downer or upper, you love how you feel. The hardest thing about sobriety was actually doing it. Because the one thing that people need to understand that if you want to be sober, no matter how much AA you go to, no matter how many kind of therapy sessions you attend, the only way you're going to get sober is if you just fucking stop. You, I, there were so many times, man, I, I was just like, all right, I'm a week sober. Hell yeah, I'm doing good. And then, all right, I pick up a bottle again. I had a beer. And then that beer turned to two, then six, and then eight, and then ten. But when I finally did this, it was, I said, I'm doing this for real. I'm dedicated. I'm committed. Let's fucking do it. And the way I, uh, I would get away from it was Diet Coke. Diet Coke was it, man. And... Every time that I started to get an urge now for the first month was by far the hardest because it was dealing with the withdrawals. I did not know many people that dealt with alcohol withdrawal until I actually witnessed it. There were, there were times where I would think about the taste and the, the feeling I would get after drinking like uh, a, a beer with like six or seven percent alcohol percentage and how I'd feel after it when I didn't eat. I would think about the times where I'd be sitting in my room at night where I was bored as fuck. And think about, oh, man, if I drank three beers right now, I'd feel good. And I'd be ready to go to sleep. I would mm. think about all that stuff. And I would, my body would naturally crave it and be like, man, I really need a beer. Then I would start to shake. And then I would just start to feel weird. I would start to feel lightheaded, man. It was mm. fucking weird. So, but, you, so you would say that you were an alcoholic at some point? Oh, yeah, of course. I was, it was a function. So it started, it started off as functioning alcoholism. Just turned into just outright disgusting alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that alcohol did to me was induce the anxiety I had by like by the hundreds. In case a lot of people didn't know, I actually talked about it in my very first podcast was that alcohol induces the adrenal gland. The adrenal gland induces the anxiety. You know, it, it sparks up the nervous system. And I didn't understand why I would go into work on Monday after a weekend, after a weekend of drinking, and I would just wake up, dude, and I'm vomiting. I'm dry heaving in the shower, and I'm shaking out the ass, and I'm sweating, and it's like, you know, 52, 48 degrees outside during the winter. I didn't understand that. I couldn't drink coffee. I couldn't eat, and I would do that a lot. And until one time, the chaps came down, and he was just kind of shooting the shit with us, and 
we were doing okay as an office. And but I was just the thing about me, man, was I would go and I would just start thinking about my dates. Like, what if it takes me this long to get an appointment? What if it takes me this long to actually go and talk to a kid? Oh my God, I got to talk to this kid. And what if I don't get him to say yes? I would think about that and then I would get even more anxious. And that's all the alcoholism was doing for me. Now, I remember how I would feel even after just having two beers or even one. I would still wake up the next morning feeling like absolute dog ass, just the dry mouth, the headache, and just just shit, man. And I got tired of that because I didn't want to wake up like that. Mm-hmm. So when I think about all the stuff that I went through, let me go back to how when my alcoholism got first started, right? Mm-hmm. I... I, so I, I, this girl I was dating at the time, I thought I was going to marry her, have kids, whatever. It didn't end up happening. I let that affect me. And then when I joined the Marine Corps, I wanted to, I wanted to deploy. I wanted to do all kinds of badass shit on fucking tanks. And I wasn't able to. So all of that stuff, me thinking of just about, you know, being able to impress everyone and doing all this out of resentment towards my family and friends and stuff like that. And just trying to be cool like everybody else who drank was making me, you know, what, what I want to say making me was making me think that drinking a lot was going to be fucking cool. But I was drinking a fucking bottle of Honey Jack a day. I was drinking beer on top of that. I would drink every night to go to sleep. And then there was one time where, um, I'm going to get really detailed. Uh, I went out with my buddies after I fought with this girl in the car. And I just said, you know what? Fuck you going to drop you off, and then I'm going to just go hang out with my friends. So I want to go hang out with my friends. I was the only one who was 21 at the time, and I picked up uh, uh, some tequila, some whiskey, and then we got some beer. I got so hammered that day, man. That night, my own father had to pick me up because I'm shitting myself and I'm pissing myself, and he had to bring me up to the house, and I vomited all over the floor. And he said I vomited so bad, the projectile just looked like some kind of exorcist shit. And he said that it made him vomit. And just the the days uh, like prior after that, I did not I, I didn't give a fuck about it. I laughed at it. I was like, huh, whatever. And I would still do the same shit. I would go to bars and I would just get obliterated because I wanted to be that guy that I was like, oh, I'm drinking more than my friends. Uh, fuck you. And I would just do this over and over again until one day I drank and I realized that I almost hurt my own mother. And then I realized that when I was on the studio as well, this drinking was not doing nothing for me. So what, what is the point of me drinking? What is it going to do for me? So I told myself, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, it's not doing anything for me. We're going to stop and we're going to fucking do it right now. And so far it's done everything. It's been nothing but great for me. I, I, the times that I feel like I could be drinking, I'm, I'm doing better shit, man. I'm, I, you know, I train twice a day. I, you know, I find... I find pleasure in reading books. I find pleasure in podcasts. I find pleasure in looking at fucking conspiracy theories, man. I don't know. Um, I find pleasure in just going fishing and just enjoying shit. Because when you realize that there's so much more to life than just putting disgusting, toxic shit in your body and finding these, these negative ways to cope with the stress of everyday life, you can do so much. Yeah, And what it did for me was help me find my purpose in life. And that was starting a podcast, training my ass off, 
and being able to tell it to the world so that when people are sitting there and they're lost and they're depressed and they're in a funk, they can hear somebody like myself who's just a normal fucking guy, you know, talk about alcoholism and how much it fucked me up and how yeah. I recovered was just simply by doing it. Yeah. That's and what for my purpose. And it's it's crazy that you bring that up because um, over the weekend, um, I saw some friends of mine that I haven't seen in a while. And um, dear friends of mine, friends that I've probably been around for like 12 years. Um, they're my wife's friends. My wife has known them since she was in like elementary school. And um, now they're my friends because, you know, an association type thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because I'm talking to her. And now, mind you, I don't know if you're going to listen to this podcast. So if you do, I'm not being disrespectful towards you. I'm just telling your story. So him and his wife, they have a son. And they live in a one. So it's a one bedroom. So it's a they live in like a multifamily house. And they rent a one bedroom, one bath with like a small kitchenette from this guy. Right. Right. And they pay like you know a very decent amount of money, like eight hundred some odd dollars, less than a thousand dollars a month. And the thing is, is that now that they've had a child and they're married, now they're talking about moving out, right? And he he ended up talking to me, and he was just talking to me about how he's been doing the math, and he's come to the figure of a roughly around five thousand dollars a year he spends on marijuana, Jeez. just marijuana. So that's not to include alcohol because he drinks IPAs and he drinks, you know, massive amounts of blood, blood, uh, blood light and stuff. And now he's moved on to craft beers. That's also not to mention his wife who also drinks, you know, uh, alcohol as well. And then sh- and then they both smoke cigarettes. So it's like, bro, if you really take a second to think about it. You know, you're dropping five to ten thousand dollars, you know, on on this uh, on this substance, and and again, like you said, what is it doing for you? You know, and now and now it's something that where you think about it, and you have like something that I've been dealing with a lot lately. So myself, right? Um, I right now I just I'm not gonna lie, I had two beers. And it's been about a week and a half since I've had a beer. Um, and then just because I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut down on it. At first, I was doing 75 hard. Not going to lie. Destroyed my diet on Saturday at this event that I was just talking about. And um, now I'm at the point where, like, I have an issue with whether or not. I don't believe. And now, mind you, I get it. Like, I guess people say that, like, AA says that this is going to happen. But I personally don't believe I have. The out. I, I don't believe that I'm an alcoholic. I believe that at some point in my life, was I an alcoholic? Yes, wholeheartedly. I was literally, like, literally living the, like, I was this, um, what do they call it? Uh, a um, functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like, for instance, like, I had these two beers, completely sober. I feel good. Do I want a third? Yeah, I can go for a third. But am I going to have one? Probably not. I'm just going to go to bed after this episode. Um, but I think for me, it's more so that I get worried because alcoholism does run in my family. You know, I, I have an uncle who's been an alcoholic since before I, I even was born. I have a brother who, you know, he's about to retire from the army. He's been an alcoholic for 20 years, but he has been sober for the past couple of years. So it is something that runs in my family. 
so recently um it's more so just been about like thinking about the fact that like i have a son i have a son i have a daughter and my son he'll come up to me and he'll be like daddy i'm drinking a beer just like you and i'm like that's not something that i want him to correlate you know i i would rather him say daddy you know I'm doing a podcast like you or daddy, I'm running like you or daddy, I'm working out like you or daddy, I'm, I'm reading like you. And the, and the reason why I brought up this friend of mine is because bro, and this is for anybody who's listening. There's a lot when it's just like you just said, that's why I brought it up. You don't realize how much more there is to life until you stop doing those things like bro there's there's so much more out there you know skateboarding handball racquetball sports books whatever it is man like i i hated being i i never i grew up and i hated reading um and up until recently you know where i i did i did attempt to do the 75 hard and um part of it is reading 10 pages a day um and that caused me to end up reading the whole entire book um you know, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And I think it was awesome that that was one of the first books I ever read. But, you know, and something that I also think back to is um, the the first book I ever read from point A to point B, from from cover to close, um, was this book called Psalm 91. And they give it out um, when you're in ITX, when you're about to go to Afghanistan, um, there's this guy who gives it out. I don't know if he still does, but I have a couple of copies of them. Um, but it's a book that goes over the, the, the chapter and the verse, and it goes over Psalm 91 in its entirety. And if you don't know, Psalm 91 is a soldier's prayer. Um, it's in the Bible. And um, so what the book does is it goes the first half of the book, breaks down every single verse, um, gives an explanation of what the verse means. And then the other half of the verse is just accountability um, of people who prayed the verse. And it, <clears throat> it tells their story about how the verse, you know, protected them. And uh, it's funny because that was the first book. It's the first book I ever read uh, was in Afghanistan. <clears throat> and mind you, this was, you know, on a mission in a truck, you know, being stuck in the middle of nowhere for two to three weeks. And, um, I actually read a couple of books, you know, in the middle of Afghanistan. And it's it was funny to me that, you know, in Afghanistan, I could go and read a book, but somewhere like here, I couldn't. Um, and and back to, you know, kind of what we were just saying was just like, people just get so lost in the shuffle of life where, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're introduced to alcoholism at such an, a young age or, or even like something like pornography. Because mind you, being sober doesn't have to be sober from alcohol. It could mm. be sober from anything. Um, and a lot of people just don't talk about things like that. You know, like, you know, I just saw this picture on Facebook <clears throat> a few minutes ago, and it was a Marine who I, I used to know um, who fo- who just commented a picture of, like, uh, it was the guy from Mortal Kombat. And you know how he says, like, you give me your soul or whatever he says. Yeah. It above his eyes, it's a picture of Pornhub, and it says, I uh, the day I watched porn at eight years old for the first time. And it's like it's messed up because that's the reality of it is, is you allow this thing to creep into your life, and then it takes a foothold into your life for the rest of forever until you say no more. And and that's the thing, you know, I remember 
you know, my first, you know, my first time, you know, with alcohol, um, I was, I think I was like 10, I was like 10 or 10 years old. And um, my brother had caught me. So what happened was actually a really funny story. So my brother had just come home from Iraq um, and my sister's boyfriend, um, they were sitting at the dinner table and they were just talking back and forth and they were like, oh, let's go out for a cigarette. So I was like, yeah, let's go out for a cigarette. And then my brother looked at me and he was like, oh, yeah, you have some? I, he was like, I forgot mine in, in my room. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, so he grabs me from my arm. He puts it behind my back like some detainee shit. <clears throat> and he pushes me towards my room, slams me against my door. And he's like, sh- like literally like he was like interrogating me or like I was some like armed thug. And he literally forces me, like, in some armed chokehold to find my pack of cigarettes and to give it to him. So I hand him a pack of Newports. And um, he's like, okay, go downstairs. So I go downstairs into the basement of the house. And uh, this is right when Blade 2 had first come out. <clears throat> and um, and I remember it because that continues on with the story. So my brother takes me downstairs and he he hands me the pack of cigarettes and he hands me a lighter and he says, you're going to smoke every single one of those cigarettes. And it was a brand new pack. Like I just opened it up oh. and he was like, and my brother was like, you're going to smoke every single one of those packs of cigarettes. And then he goes into his bag um, that he brought home and he has a bottle of Jameson. And he, then he pour, he pull, he pulls the bottle out and then he pulls out a shot glass and he goes, okay. Not only are you going to smoke every one of those cigarettes, but you're going to go shot for shot with me as well. <coughs> Bro, I was in like the eighth grade. Um, and no lie, I remember I went all we went for until I was done smoking the pack of cigarettes. And then he was like, all right, well, we got to go see Blade 2. So we'll see you later. Um, and then this has nothing to do with the story. But I remember that night um, they came home from the movie and it was like not even like two hours later so clearly they had come home like made a movie and i remember um asking like my sister like hey like what happened like why did you guys come back so early and she was like dude in the very beginning if you if you remember really too um in the very beginning beginning scene they're overseas and i think like iraq or in egypt or something and there's a huge fight scene and um with him and ryan i think ryan reynolds um but they're in a huge fight scene in the beginning with Wesley Snipes and there's a huge like shooting going on and all this stuff. And apparently my brother, since he had literally just touched down from Afghan um from Iraq, apparently my brother just had like had like a huge episode of PTSD and ran out of the movie theater. Um and again, I just I just shared this story just because, you know, I was I was introduced to alcohol at such a young age. Um, and then, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and I remember, you know, drinking at, you know, all the way at, bro, I was 13 drinking, you know, underneath the football bleachers, you know, and getting, getting nearly arrested and, you know, smoking pot and and doing other things. And, you know, it's something that's, it's a social norm to us. And then you join the military and, and it's again, a social norm, um, and you're surrounded by people who drink alcohol or who do other things. And it just becomes this thing where like, oh, well, that's normal. Like, that's what everybody does. And it's, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're lucky enough to be, you know, like you 
and you have this culmination you have this like hey brother wake the fuck up because if you don't wake up it's going to be too late and um sometimes you snap out of it and sometimes you don't and luckily for you it you have um so my next question really would be um what do you do like what's your day to day now well actually here's another here's a question for you um do you feel that this is something that's going to be a lifelong thing for you like are you going to be sober for the rest of your life or do you do you see yourself maybe one day going back or do you think it's something where like you would never be able to just have a beer over a conversation or do you just not even want to even just attempt it's something that i don't ever want to attempt again because i realized that you know I'm a firm believer that once an addict is always an addict. Mm. And if you allow yourself to, to get back into this gateway, because that's what I believe all coffee is just a gateway drug. And it's a gateway to a lot of bad. Because every time we hear about people who drink and they drink, you know, copious amounts of alcohol, it's just a gateway to dumb shit. Nobody has a good story. It may, it may be laughable, but it's stuff that nobody ever wanted to wanted to do. And I can't see myself, you know, picking up a beer or picking up a bottle of whiskey or anything like that again solely because I know that once I get that taste back in my mouth, it's going to be like a shark who who smells blood. It's just like a shark who tastes blood. It's Mm -hmm. just going to want more. It's going to keep wanting more. And then I'm going to find myself going to the liquor store, you know, and just being like, oh, I'm grocery shopping. Why not get a case of beer when I could be getting other things, when I could be learning other things? Yeah, you definitely... You definitely realize, and I don't know how you feel, but like with me starting this podcast, bro, I've I've put a lot of money into this podcast just in the time in the month. Like I probably have dropped like five thousand dollars so far, um, and and you realize it's like okay, well, you know, instead of me dropping five hundred dollars on alcohol, I need to go drop five hundred dollars on T-shirts, or I need to go drop, you know. Twenty dollars on 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 you know business cards or hey I need to buy a new speaker or whatever and you begin to realize and especially when you become a parent and all these things like you realize that like the money that you're spending on these things could go a lot further if they were put into different places. Of course, and that's that's the one thing people should understand is don't surround yourself with just people that. All they want to do is drink. Surround yourself with people that want to get out the house. Surround yourself with people that want to go on on hikes, that want to go to a shooting range, that want to go learn a skill. When you set, when you go learn a skill such as like a new hobby, it takes you away from the monotony of doing a fucking drug or a substance that's going to alter your mood because you could fill yourself with natural endorphins and serotonin. You can fill yourself with something that's actually going to give you a skill and knowledge such like such as reading, such as other things, and you're doing something for your life rather than taking years off of it. Like, yeah, I get it. You know, I'm a, I'm a person who doesn't want to live past the age of 75. But at the end of the day, it's like if you don't want to live past 75, then live live your life to the fullest, but don't live it in such an ill manner. An ill meaning living it in you know, just by your surrounding environments. And people, and if people don't support you, man, I'll, and I'm going to say this that much. If people don't support anything you're doing, just, you got to just, 
there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know what, man? You're a fucking cool dude, but I, I, I don't fuck with you. I've done it to a lot of friends, man. I've done it to a lot of friends who all they want to do is drink. All they want to do is just complain about how much their life sucks. But really, the only person who like the only person who's making their life sucks is them. Nobody else is fucking doing it. Yeah, right. And it's crazy that you say that. And I'm sure that you still have the same. You know, I'm sure you can probably agree with me on this. But it's so funny, man, because I, I still, you know, have a lot of close friends of well, not close friends of mine, but I have friends of mine that I grew up with um, who are on Facebook and Instagram and, and stuff, and people that I haven't talked to who knows how long. And it's just so funny when I see grown ass men sitting around a bong or sitting around the room, just, you know, passing around an L and it's like, bro, like you're 30 years old. Like, bro, when does this, when does this party scene of your life get over? You know, when do you stop going to clubs? When do you stop doing this thing? When you, and now mind you, I get it. Not everyone wants to be a father. Not everyone wants to be a parent. I get that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the idea that you're, you're, you spent the formative years of your life, 20, 20 to 30 years, you know, you dropped 10 years of your life on literally just going out to clubs and going out to get wrecked. You know, it's, it's you know, at some point you got to kind of look back and be like, bro, like, what, is, what was it all for? Like, not even just the money, but just the time. You know, think about how many times, you know, you, you, you don't remember, you don't remember or, or the times that you made a fool out of yourself. You know, like I remember one time, um, me and my wife, we were at a friend's house in upstate New York. Um, and I didn't tell this story for probably about five years. Um, because I was so ashamed of it, but me and my wife were up, upstate New York, um, at a friend's house and, um, they have a beautiful house. And um, we were sleeping on an air mattress that his mother had provided for us with the sheets and the linen and everything. And I had drank a 30-pack um, of Coors Light. We, we got to the house at like 10 a.m. I drank a 30-pack. We didn't go to bed till like 2 or, 2 or 3 in the morning. I wake up at like 5, 5.30 in the morning to my wife screaming, Dog, are you effing kidding me? And I was submerged in my own urine and so was my wife. And like that's how much urine was in this bed on this air mattress. And um, not only did she beat the shit out of me to wake me up, but now we had to take the sheets off. We had to, you know, put it in there. And then that same day, they um, they took the sheets and they put it out on the clothesline because they didn't have a dryer upstate. And there was just a huge pee stain on it. And I tried to tell my friend's mom that it was the beer that I had spilt the beer and my, and, and she just went, a, went along with it or whatever. But it was just like, it was like, bro, for what reason? And I, and I don't even remember the whole day leading up to it. I don't even remember what happened or what occurred. So I can't even laugh at it or I can't even enjoy the memory because I don't remember. Um, and, and that's what it is, man. You know, now, you know, and God talks about it in the Bible, you know, being sober minded and, and you really understand that really, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that, do I believe, do I believe there's anything wrong in drinking in moderation? No. Um, but if you don't know how to drink in moderation and you cannot drink in moderation, then maybe the answer is you just don't need to drink. Um, because again, you need to be sober minded and that's something that, you know, you know, people just kind of forget about, man. Um, so the, the last thing I would kind of ask you, uh, Rob, is just 
how do you feel now that you've come to the conclusion that you were in fact an alcoholic and now, you know, you're, you're going on five months of being sober. Like, how does that, how does that feel? You know, does it feel like a, an accomplishment? Does it feel like, you know, something that you never thought you would do or needed to do? Like, how, how does that feel? Um, it's, I wouldn't say, cause it's something that I dealt with for such a long time that I did not, I was not willing to accept no matter who told me. And I'm never proud to say that I was an alcoholic. It's just something I, I've never been proud of. It's something that I've never been happy to say, just hearing the words come out of my mouth. So it kind of makes me sick, man, but it's the hard reality. And as much as I feel accomplished, of, of, you know, now finishing four months and going on five, it's cool and all, but it's, there's always the, why did I do it? But the biggest thing, and this is for anyone, is where is your heart? What And who are you trying to impress? If it's not bringing you wealth, if it's not bringing you positivity, if it's not bringing you you know a different perspective on your life and allowing you to get up to be a better person than you were yesterday or anything then what why are you doing it we hear many stories of people out there who just gave up something and they just shot for it you know with like little to no money in their bank account and they fucking did it and they became successful at it that's what i did because I knew that it was going to be a struggle and it was going to suck because I came from a family who had a lot of addictions. But I knew that if I didn't want to be a statistic, somebody's going to fucking do it. And that was it. And I'm going to keep doing it. And no matter what anybody says, you know, no matter what. And, and that's a good, the, the, the one thing I love is you need to understand that there's there's discipline will play the biggest factor in any kind of sobriety, whether it's pornography, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it may be. But discipline is always going to be there because everything's going to be there. You're always going to be surrounded by it. And I'm surrounded by alcohol every single day. There's liquor stores on the drive to wherever I'm going. There's I have friends that constantly drink. I have people that invite me over to have a drink. But does that mean that I can't just ask for water? Does that mean I, I every time I go to, like let's say, Buffalo Wallowings to get, sit down and have some wings with my friends does that mean i can't just have like a diet coke yeah that's exactly what it means because i can go there and i could do it because the only person who's going to be making the choice is myself nobody else and if somebody's going to be sitting there be like oh you're a bitch dude well you know what dude then how about this i'll get up and leave and i'll just go have dinner with myself somewhere yeah and it's i'm glad that you bring that up man because i even said that to my boys um over the weekend like you know saturday was my third day doing 75 hard and so far, every time I've attempted, I'm on like four times attempting. Um, so here's here's my thing, man. And, and this might be just, you know, Andy Fursello calls it the bitch voice. But mm-hmm. um, I, I've noticed, and I was talking to my wife about it. I've noticed that doing 75 hard or attempting to do 75 hard causes me great anxiety. Yeah. And I and I mean that because like like for instance today I went to the gym today I was in the gym for an hour and I was killing it and I felt great I had a great workout but now mind you on Friday when I was in the gym I was looking at the watch I was looking at the time I was 
you know, looking at, okay, have I gone for 45 minutes straight without taking a break? I was looking so much more into the idea of a 45 minute workout than I was just enjoying the workout and doing what the workout was needed for, you know, and I find that 75 hard just causes me more anxiety than it does growth. Um, and, and I don't know again, if that's just me just, you know, saying, Oh, I can't do it. Um, but like for me, so now back to what I was saying on Saturday, I go to this event, um, and not an event, but like I go to my friend's house that I haven't seen in a while and I walk in and I have a, um, a gallon of water and I got an energy drink and, um, immediately him and his boy or my boy are immediately like, Oh, you're not drinking. And I was like, no. And they were like, well, why not? And I was like, well, I was like, because I'm going through, you know, I'm doing the 75 hard. Da, da, da. And then <clears throat> lo and behold, I didn't even lose. I didn't succumb to alcohol. I succumbed to just fucking up my diet. Um, and what was, what, what sucked though was, and I even said this to them, you know, cause I was just like, you know, I've kind of had enough of it. I was like, you know why people don't become sober. I was like, because it's because of people like you, like you clearly, you see me walking in here with a gallon of water. You see me walking in here with an energy drink. And normally you've always seen me walk in here with a six pack or two six packs and maybe a bottle. And now today you don't see that. So why, why do you have to bring attention to the attention that's already there? Mm-hmm. But why, why, why not just say, why not just continue on the conversation and not bring it up? Because clearly if somebody's who you've known for over 10 years or even a year that's always there with alcohol and always there with cigarettes. And if you notice they don't have those things, why, why not just leave it alone? Don't even bring attention to it because like you're, 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 you're mentioning, you know, and it's something that I've had to deal with too, is that like, it's such a, it's such a known thing to call somebody or to see somebody like I, I do it to my boy, my boy Jackman all the time. Um, and I forget, but my boy Jackman, he's been a um, a recovering alcoholic for four years, so he's been sober for four years. And just because he's a Marine, and I'm a Marine, I will naturally be like, "Hey, man, do you want to come to the bar and get a drink?" And then he'll literally remind me and be like, "Bro, I don't drink. I haven't in four years." And I'm like, "Oh, fuck, man, my bad, bro. Like, I just, I, I, I apologize." And then that's it. I don't, I don't try to do anything like that. And that's the thing is like, bro, like there's people and you don't know their reasons and you don't know why they're doing it. But at the end of the day, just respect it, you know, and, and, and okay. that's the thing, bro. If, if you're if you're friends with and you said this earlier on, man, bro, there there comes a time in your life where me and my wife are going through this, man. You know, there comes a time in your life where you begin to realize that there's people in your life that don't need to be there. Yep. If, if if they can't, you know, respect you and respect your growth and respect where you want to go in life, then, bro, ha- you know, chalk up the deuces and see you later, man. Like, like I, it's it's cool by me, man. Like, it's and, and another funny thing, too, uh, I find is that these same people that were at the house, um, they were like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to listen to your podcast. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool, because I have 32 episodes. You could you have 32 to pick from. So it's like. Don't don't say that to me, you know, and I'm not asking for you to go listen to my podcast or anything like that. But it's like there's people who are truly in your corner who truly support you and want the best for you. And then there's people who are truly just there to be there. There's no other reason. They're just they've kind of been there through your whole life or however long. And it's like, ah, if you weren't here, it wouldn't really matter to me. And that's the thing is that you you need to do an assessment 
of the people who are in your life and look at it, you know, are they helping me or are they hurting me? And, and do they need to be here? And, and if they weren't here, would it really matter to me? And, and quickly you begin to realize that you really have a small corner. You know, it's like when you, when you look at it and I just, this just came into my head, but if you look at like a, like a boxing match, you know, in, in the corner, the guy who's fighting, how many got, how many people are in his corner? A lot. Like, like, like not how, like four, like four, right? Like he yeah. has this coach. He has like the guy who's giving him the water. So like two or three, maybe it's not a whole crowd of people because he has to maintain composure. He has to maintain what's going on. So, you know, if you really think about it, that's what you need. You know, you, you need to have people who are like-minded and who are going to help you towards your journey of success. And again, you now success is different to all of us, but the reality of it is that you have to ask yourself that question is, you know, are these people in my life here for the betterment of me and the betterment of my family, or are they just here for whatever reason? And then, you know, I don't know yet, but when you become successful, you quickly realize people start coming back into your life. Um, you know, and and I do know that a little bit because like when I was on recruiting duty, it's made a lot more money. Um, and people, my family knew that and, and different conversations were being had because of that. Um, so, you know, I just what I'm getting at, man, is that, you know, I'm, I'm glad to. First of all, I'm glad to have met you. I think it's very crazy. I was actually telling my pastor this. I, I think it's very crazy that the two of us are kind of we're kind of on like the same journey. Um, yep. It seems like we're kind of on the same journey, just two different parts of the United States, you know, where and we both have the nickname of Benny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you got off recruiting duty. You're dealing with what you're dealing with. You just started a podcast. I got off recruiting duty. I'm just starting a podcast. You're dealing with enlightenment. You're dealing with, you know, finding yourself back and, and stuff. So I think it's, I think it's very, very weird. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, all we can do is give credit to God because he's the one who, you know, puts orchestrates these things. Um, so I, I really just want to thank you a lot, Rob, um, for giving me your time. Um, I thank you for the conversation. Um, I thank you for the sober talk. Um, and I, I really appreciate it, man. And I, and I just, I sincerely pray, um, that you continue to do great things and I can, you know, that you continue to, you know, push forward through this and, um, you know, you're going to help other people, um, just as, as I am. And that's what we started. We both, you know, can agree on. We started this for, um, was to just help people out and kind of give them our, our two cents, um, about what we've been through and to help you either get through it while you're going through it or, to stop you from having to go through it. Um, so Rob, I, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for coming out, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Uh, of course, anytime brother. All right. No doubt, man. Well, Hey, listen, we'll definitely do another episode together. Um, but for now, thank you so much, man. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Take care. Hey guys. So something that I decided that I'm going to do before some of these episodes, I'm just going to kind of give you a brief rundown of what's going on. Um, so this is not a recruiting episode. This is just an episode about, um, about life, you know, about alcoholism, about some of the things that Rob went through while being in the Marine Corps. Um, and he just talks about the things that he's dealt with, how he's coped with them. And then I, you know, talk about some things and then we do talk a little bit about recruiting duty because he just got off of recruiting duty and so did I. Um, but this is not a centralized recruiting duty episode. Um, 
Do I believe that it could help anybody on recruiting duty? I believe so. But do I believe that it could help anybody who is listening? 100%. Um, so I just ask that you take the time to listen to it. It is a lengthy one, but it, you know, I think we unpacked some heavy things. Um, so without further ado, here we go.